Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. It's a beautiful morning. We're glad to see you here. Let us now come together as we worship God with our voices, with our prayers, with our worship, and with our lives to give praise to Jesus Christ today. hymn of celebration today is a special hymn in Methodism. It was um, written by Charles Wesley, who was the brother of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. He wrote this hymn on May 23rd, 1738, when he experienced his conversion before God. Of course, the date that everybody remembers is the day after, which was May 24, 1738, when his brother John did the same thing and wrote in his journal about a quarter to nine, I felt my heart strangely warm, and that I did believe in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. But it was the day before that his brother wrote a hymn. And the next day when John came to Charles and said he too had found the Lord in a very personal and experiential way, they joined together in singing this hymn that he had written. And so as we stand, may we sing that hymn written so long ago and sung so long ago that started the Methodist tradition, movement, and church. Number 363, we'll sing verses one, three, and five, and can it be that I should gain?
continue in prayer as we join in our hymn 286 O sacred head now wounded we will sing the first verse
God, we come to you this day. We give you thanks and praise for the beauty of your creation, for the joy to be together in fellowship and in worship, to come as a community and as a family into your presence, to feel your spirit move and stir in our hearts and in our lives. And in this day, as we join together in worship, we give you thanks for the abundant blessings that you have shared, for the gift of family and friendship, for anniversaries and birthdays, celebrations galore we give you thanks for accomplishments and achievements we give you thanks for those who work quietly behind the scenes who don't seek recognition but continue to give from their heart god we give you thanks and praise for the abundant blessings that we don't always acknowledge and that we don't always see but we know that continue to come and as we lift up our praise and our thanksgiving for these blessings, so too do we pray with and for one another, for those who are bearing burdens that seem great, for those who are struggling to make ends meet and those who are hurting. God, you know the things that weigh upon our hearts and our minds, the real life situations that often or sometimes seem too great to overcome that in these times may we find your presence, knowing that you are a God who is even greater than these, that you will continue to walk with and bring comfort, to bring healing to broken hearts. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise that we are called to pray with one another, to be a community in prayer and in service. So as we lift up our prayers out loud, may we too take a moment in silence to just listen, to be still, to experience again a divine brush in our hearts, an embrace like no other. Glorious God, we come to you in silence.
Merciful God, we lift up these our prayers to you as we continue on this journey of Lent, as we continue to deepen our relationship with you. May you continue to reveal yourself, to draw us ever closer to yourself, that in so doing our hearts and our lives will be transformed, that we continue to be your body, to be your voice, to be your hands and your feet in ministry that in so doing our lives will be transformed like no other, to know that your light and your love through Jesus Christ our Savior will shine. So on this day as a community, we not only lift our prayers, but to lift the prayer that your Son Jesus our Lord taught, that together we too may pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the ushers come forward as they receive this morning's gifts, tithes, and offering.
gifts, that we might be faithful to serve you and to use these for the ministry of your church. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.
listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. And we will write the according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from St. Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were, hanging, who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing, nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be God. May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks once more for the reading of the word, and in these words we have met you. And now make these words more than but words heard or even on page with paper and ink, but now living words that find a place within us and as good seed that finds its way to the good earth, digs deep roots and brings forth harvest. May now this, the seed of the word of God, dig deeply into the soil of our souls and bring to us a harvest unto everlasting life through Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God and in whose name we pray. Amen. Our scripture today is truly one of my most personal and one of the most moving passages of the Bible for me. It has been for as long as I can remember, even far longer than before God called me into ministry. It is filled with the horrors of death and yet the blessings of life. It is a vivid account of Jesus' last moments and death, yet also an account of the true beginning of our lives. This is the 11th station of the cross. Jesus is crucified. We've come a long way in these weeks of Lent to this station. From the first station where Jesus was condemned to death to the next as he carried the cross, where he fell under the weight of the cross, when, as Brian taught us last week, that Simon carried his cross, and now to Jesus is stripped of his garments and is nailed to the cross. 
we journey through this multitude of emotions, ideas, and kinds of people that we meet at the foot of this cross. We see the best in people, and we see the worst in people. We see the highest of the dignity of the human spirit and the lowest depths of human depravity. The scene we now face becomes crueler and darker and more sinister than any which have come before it. We have gone from shouts and sneers to the actual nailing of Jesus upon the cross. And in the midst of the darkness and the shame comes yet a light of hope that one would never have expected, would have never hoped for, or would have never thought of. The story unfolds with the power, and we are told in verse 32 that two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place, which is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. I have been to the place called the skull, or in Hebrew, Golgotha. In Jerusalem, there are two locations said to be the site. One inside what is known as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and the other in a much less developed area called Gordon's Calvary, named after General Gordon of Khartoum fame. The general chose his spot because of the peculiar look of the rock, which looks to this day like a skull, and yet one wonders would it have remained exactly the same after 2,000 years. The other site is inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre under an altar. You actually go under the altar to get to the site. Four years ago, I stood at that place at 5 a.m. in the morning and prayed at the spot. As I placed my hand into the hole under the altar, which went through the marble flooring and down to the bedrock of the place where the crucifixion site would have been. And reaching one's hand into the hole, you can feel that stone that was there at the time of Jesus Christ. Do I believe that this was the exact actual hole where the cross is placed? No. But I believe that very near here, according to archaeology, is the place of the crucifixion site of Jesus Christ. There is a feeling that one has standing early in the morning at 5 a.m. listening to the Gregorian chants of the Orthodox priests, the pungent smell of lighted candles and incense, and the prayers of the other few faithful who, having risen this early, have now the whole church to themselves. The evening before, I reread the account of the crucifixion, and I sensed the scene of the crowds and the noises of people being crucified and the screaming voices and the horror of that moment which seemed at that moment at 5 a.m. in the peacefulness of that chapel so very far away. But the story came in. And it says that there were two criminals that were crucified with him and Jesus was placed in the middle as if he were the worst of the three. And our scripture says, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. 
This was so Jesus. Even in his own condemnation, even in the unjustness of the mock of a trial, even in the shame of being crucified, he still showed only love and only forgiveness. Surely this would break the frozen hearts of the people. Surely this would help the priests rethink what they had done and let him go. But no, their hearts are frozen harder than ice and could still only scoff and condemn and cry out, if he really is the Messiah, then let him save himself. Do you hear the irony of those words? For without realizing it, the priest spoke the eternal truth of God. For the very reason that Jesus came to set us free from our sins is the very reason he could not save himself. For if Jesus had stepped off of that cross, we would be forever in our sins without redemption or forgiveness. It was not, it was not the nails in Jesus' hand that held him to the cross. It was the love in the heart of God which kept him there so that you and me could experience the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God. He could not save himself or we would not have been saved. And then to the soldiers in one last act of disrespect, also mock him, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself, and adding further insult to injury, they bring out their dice, and they gamble away the last few remnants of clothing that belonged to Jesus as he was dying. But in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the hatred and the anger and the scorn at a man who only showed love and forgiveness, Exactly because of who Jesus was, a miracle happens in the lives of one of the men crucified with him. But the other of the thieves, like the soldiers, like the high priest, he continues to rail at Jesus and saying, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself, and while you're at it, save me too. How true it is said elsewhere in Scripture that having ears to hear and eyes to see, they neither hear nor see, even though God would show them his love. But it was in the midst of the darkness of that day that the thief on the other cross shows the power of Christ's triumph over the principalities and powers of death, even when it seemed that Jesus had been triumphed over by them. And we are told that the first thief says to the other, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. One heart remained hardened, but the other heart was softened by the great love he saw in Jesus' face and in Jesus' actions. And in my most favorite words of all of Scripture, Jesus turned to the second thief and said to him in that moment of time, to all of us in this moment of time, 
for all of us for eternity, truly I say unto you that you shall be with me in paradise. And in that moment, in those words, a man's life was changed for eternity. And I believe that these words continue as we come in these last several weeks of Lent to the cross and to Easter, continue to speak to us that even when things seem most hopeless, we can still find the hope to continue on. And it happens again and again and again when we open our lives to the power of the miracle of those words spoken upon that cross. In our hymn book is a hymn entitled, Precious Lord, Take My Hands. This hymn, long a favorite in many churches, has a powerful story about how it came into being. It was written by Tommy Dorsey, a black gospel songwriter who wrote both the words and the music of this hymn. In his words, this is his story. He said, back in 1932, I was 32 years old and a fairly new husband. My wife, Nettie, and I were living in a little apartment on Chicago's south side. One hot August afternoon, I had to go to St. Louis, where I was to be the featured soloist at a large revival meeting. I didn't want to go. Nettie was in the last months of pregnancy with our first child, but a lot of people were expecting me in St. Louis, and so I kissed Nettie goodbye, clattered downstairs to our Model A, and in a fresh Lake Michigan breeze, chugged out of Chicago on Route 66. However, outside of the city, I discovered that in my anxiety and leaving, I had forgotten my music case. I wheeled around and headed back to our apartment. I found Nettie sleeping peacefully, and I hesitated by her bed. Something was strongly telling me to stay, but eager to get on my way and not wanting to disturb Nettie, I shrugged off the feeling, and I quietly slipped out of the room with my music. The next night in the steaming St. Louis heat, the crowd called on me again and again to sing and to sing. And when I finally sat down, a messenger boy ran up with a Western Union telegram. And I ripped open the envelope and pasted on a yellow sheet were the words, your wife just died. People were happily singing and clapping around me, but I could hardly keep from crying out. I rushed to a phone and called home, and all I could hear at the end of the other line was, Nettie is dead. Nettie is dead. When I got back, I learned that Nettie had given birth to a boy. I swung between grief and joy, and yet that night, my baby boy died. I buried Nettie and our little boy together in the same casket, and then I fell apart. For days, I closeted myself. I, I felt that God had done me an injustice. I, I didn't want to serve him anymore or write gospel songs. I wanted to go back to the jazz that I once knew so well. But then, as I hunched alone in that dark apartment those first sad days, I thought back to the afternoon that I went to St. Louis when something kept telling me to stay with Nettie. And I asked, was that something God? 
If I had only paid more attention to him that day, I would have stayed and been there with Nettie when she died. And from that moment on, I vowed to listen more closely to him. But still, I was lost in grief. Everyone was kind to me, especially a friend, Professor Fry, who seemed to know what I needed. And on the following Saturday evening, he took me to Malone's Poro College, a neighborhood music school. It was quiet. The late afternoon sun crept through the curtained windows, and I sat down at the piano. My hands began to browse over the keys, and something happened to me in that moment. And I felt at peace. I, I felt as though I could reach out and touch God. I found myself playing a melody, one that came into my head, and the music and the words just seemed to fall into place. And this is what he wrote. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Tommy further said, as the Lord gave me those words in melody, he also healed my spirit. And I learned that when we are in the deepest grief, when we feel farthest away from God, this is when God is closest. And when we are most open to his restoring power, and so I go on living for God willingly and joyfully until that day comes when he will take me and gently lead me home. I personally know the power of those words. When my mother died at the young age of 62, very unexpectedly, and quickly, six months before I would graduate from seminary, of all the people I would have most wanted to be there, was not. This was a hymn I had sung at her funeral. And that is why I want to affirm to you today that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what the world has brought around you, that you can have the hope of him who is with you looking down from a cross and who stayed there because he loved you so much that he wanted you to know that you could be forgiven, who will come into your heart and life once more today. And I pray on the last breath of life we breathe,
that we too in being able to say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, that we too shall hear his word. Truly, you shall be with me in paradise. Praise be to God for his unspeakable gift through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for the power of eternity that coming into our lives we might find once more the power your forgiveness and your love. That in the midst of all the things we face in life, we too with Tommy may be able to say, precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn, but through the storm and through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. O Lord, here this day we reach out our hands and claim the promise of your forgiveness and your love and that we will have a place with you for eternity. Through Jesus Christ, who walked and taught upon this earth, that you loved us, but who showed it upon a cross when staying on that cross he shows exactly how much we are loved in his name and for his sake and ours O oh God we pray Amen May I invite you to join together in our hymn of dedication that we found in our black hymnal, number 2129. I have decided to follow Jesus.
raise the hand of someone near you. And after the choir's blessing and the benediction, just keep on holding the hand and drag that person over and get some corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> we receive now these blessings. <coughs> Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go with grace and in peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.